0: Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka.
1: This is Pure Opelka.
0: With Mike Opelka.
1: Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Okay. Happy Thursday. And I mean that. Happy Thursday. I really want you to try and be happy today. While Washington is trying to eat each other, while, while the snakes and the alligators in the swamp in D.C. are all chomping at each other today because the, the read-through draft, the discussion draft of the health care bill hit about an hour and a half ago. Well, while they're all getting ready to fight and actually do a little bit of their jobs, you and I have to carry on. You and I have to carry on. And yet something that they come up with, whatever it is, will have an effect on us. Whatever they come up with, we will have to deal with it, right? We will absolutely have to deal with it. And we'll find out. There are um, senators and congressmen who are sniping at each other. There are protesters who have set up outside of Mitch McConnell's office Inside the Senate building, they're being carried out as we speak. Bunch of folks who are, are laying down on the ground, actually forcing the Capitol Police to pick them up and carry them out. And, and these aren't like millennials. These appear to be older folks. So these are, um, do we call them senior flakes? Senior snowflakes? And the Capitol Police, they they don't have the wherewithal to carry these people out. So some of them are getting uh, gurneyed out or they're being put in office chairs and rolled out. Oh, there's one actually getting dragged out. So we'll keep our eyes on this and we'll keep you apprised of what's going on. It's going to be a very interesting day in D.C. And uh, if you are a pundit, if you are a person who has knowledge of the previous health care bill and you want to weigh in on the current discussion draft you'll be able to do so and we'll go through what's different from Obamacare to what's in this 140 some page draft and see if we can make head or tails out of it there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the world and as a matter of fact at the end of the show we have something kind of wonderful going to happen as um Simon Cowell Yeah, Simon Cowell, the guy who's made a fortune off of America. Simon Cowell has done what the free market is supposed to do, and that is respond to tragedies and try and be helpful. And we will explain later. But that's a good thing. I really hope you'll join the show today. So many of you jumped in yesterday and we discussed how many genders there were. And the overwhelming majority of you voted, there are two genders, and then the second place winner in the votes was, can we please stop this stupidity? And then uh, two genders and three, uh, there was two genders, three genders, more than three genders, and stop the stupidity. Well, I, I have a slight correction to make, and somebody did write to me and say, you know, there are a, a bunch of people, a teeny tiny group compared to the overall population but there are a bunch of people who have some messed up DNA and they are considered to be a third gender. They are uh, in the words of Archie Bunker a little bit of both and not enough of neither. So there is a third gender, but there are so few of them you could probably handwrite that Christmas card list and not be tired. So the the survey the vital question of the day yesterday was All about how many genders are there and I did get some email from people that weren't happy that I asked that question and my only answer to the people that wrote me and and said quite loudly and in some cases profanely I'm not happy that was one of the the, uh, slug lines on the email and my first reaction was which one of the dwarves are you if you're not happy but I thought that would be wrong to send back, but if you're listening, uh you know who you are. you absolutely know who you are we will we will like I said, we'll get into the healthcare care uh, discussion draft that's out there because this has got Democrats actually forgetting about Russia for just a few minutes, and they're they're actually now focused because this would kill Obama's legacy. If this bill comes together and makes it, makes it out of the Senate to the president's desk, if, if the reconciliation with the House works and gets to the president's desk, this would effectively kill Obamacare and Obama's legacy would be absolutely buried. And you know Barack Obama is right now getting hourly updates from people on what this is and if it gets any closer to actually having a vote which we understand would happen next thursday a week from today based on the timing because the house and the senate want to take that vacation they want that independence day break just like you do but um i think they've given themselves a little wiggle room to maybe have it happen on next friday so not tomorrow but it could happen as early as next Thursday, a week from today, or Friday. So we shall see. Much, much, much coming down the pike. The big story, of course, will will be that story. And I always wonder, when they put out a bill like this, if John Conyers uh, will say something like he said back in uh,
3: 2009. I love these members that get up and say, read the bill. What good is reading the bill if it's a thousand pages and, and you don't have uh, two days and two lawyers to find out what it means after you read the bill? Isn't it
2: great how many ridiculous members of Congress we have? Isn't it great we actually have uh, one person who's still in charge, actually, Nancy Pelosi, the woman who told us, you got you to gotta have to pass it before you can find out what's in it. And John Conyers, the guy who's saying, wait a minute, I actually have to read a bill? And I only have two lawyers and two days to get through it? I'm so sorry for you. Look at you, mister. So the 141 pages, these people have endless clerks. Conyers, please give me a break. Anybody, if anybody says anything like that about this bill, we have to give them a break. And just send them home. That's the break I want to give them. Send them home. All right. Corrections cleared up. I have I have uh, various ways I can go here. We can go to uh, we can go to last night's pep rally that the president held, which I thought was pretty interesting in Iowa. Uh, we can go to the update on the man arrested for stabbing our cop in the terror attack. Yes, that's what I'm calling it. I know it's being investigated as terror. We can talk about General Mattis. Uh, I do happen to have a really interesting story that I need to tee up and share with you. There, there is a story breaking out of, out of Delaware actually, because this this information comes from some digging I have done. Do you know anybody who's in, in the National Guard? I'm sure many in this audience might be in the National Guard or know someone who's in the National Guard. Most of the times when the guardsmen and guardswomen, the people who are in the Guard, do their training, they do it in these two-week bursts, Unless, of course, you're Sean Spicer. Remember, he was supposed to be gone for two weeks and he was gone for three days. And then he came sprinting back because he thought his job was on the line. Uh, But most of the time when a person calls to uh, or gets called to do their guard training and guard duty, they spend a couple of weeks doing whatever it is they normally do. And then they uh, end up, you know, waiting a year and coming back. Well, I have it on good authority that some of the some of the National Guard groups are being trained for a future deployment in places like El Salvador, and I thought, wait a minute, El Salvador? Why? Why El Salvador? We don't we don't have a an ISIS problem because they're being trained to fight ISIS. They're being trained in places like. Uh, well, l- let's just say there's a section in Massachusetts. There's a part of rural, very rural Massachusetts that actually looks like a forward operating base. If you went through the trees and you didn't know how far to go deep into this wooded area, you, you got through all of the, the trees and you would get to the area that has the uh, FOB, Forward Operating Base, set up in it. You would think you're in Afghanistan. That's how much they have set this up to be a realistic training facility. That training facility is complete with Black Hawk helicopters and drills running 24 hours, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And of course, the the guard deployments that will be going in to help relieve some of our troops that are in theater right now will be will be in the Middle East. Some of them will be in Afghanistan or Iraq. And we don't yet know how deep our involvement in Syria may become. But I'm now hearing that some of these guard troops will be going to El Salvador because of a connection that is being discovered between ISIS and MS-13. Anybody a little bit nervous? Yeah. Yeah. We know about MS-13, but there is now um, training going on here in the States. It involves many of our men and women who are in the National Guard who will be going through their two-week training with the potential for deployment. If they are deployed, they will more than likely be going to El Salvador because we believe, or we apparently believe, that ISIS and El Salvador are linking up to bring their terror here to America. We already know that El Salvador and MS-13 have bases here in the United States. Donald Trump has talked about MS-13 as as being a problem. And we've known for years, and although the Obama administration looked the other way, MS-13 has been allowed to set up camp in many parts of America. They're bad guys. They're ruthless. They're very, very, very conniving and very difficult people to deal with. And if they hook up with ISIS, because it's mutually beneficial to both of them, then we have a situation. So let's just hope, let's just hope that this government is willing to go in, and I'm sure we have to be in touch with the government of El Salvador, Willing to go in and do whatever it takes to devastate MS-13 at its source. We know immigration has been working pretty solidly to remove or to move ISIS, uh, to, to remove uh, MS-13 groups out of the country. But are they doing enough? Is it moving quickly enough? Apparently, if we're planning to go to El Salvador, and I don't have any DOD confirmation on this, I just have... Information from inside. If they're planning, if we're training to go to El Salvador. Then you got to believe something's going on. I'll do a little more digging. We'll see if we can get a a request from DOD to tell us or from from uh, the people that are doing the training of those volunteers, of those brave men and women in the National Guard we can find out if they are planning a deployment to El Salvador. If it happens soon, before I get an answer, you know where you heard it first. Michael Opelka and Pure Opelka will be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka.
2: Um I have to make a confession. I have lost my ability, as the millennials say, to even. I I have just lost my ability to even. And it's all over something I just saw online. And um I I, I have no other explanation then uh demanding demanding that you want to understand why i have lost on my ability to even and yeah that's that's a total millennial thing um i'm posting it on twitter as we speak i have to put this on twitter i can't describe it on twitter um somebody it, it's been out for a couple hours now it um It's a swimsuit for the ladies or for those who identify as such a one piece swimsuit for the ladies that um, apparently the title is called "Shocked Trump, Shocked Trump. And is Donald Trump's face looking very, 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 very shocked uh, printed on a swimsuit. And, you know, I don't know if this is, it can't be flattering to either Trump or the wearer. This is impossible. There's no way in hell that this can be considered flattering to anybody who would wear it or anybody who, or, or to the victim, Donald Trump, or the victims who who might see it. Certainly this has to violate some sort of fashion law. And the weirdest part is that uh, when Donald Trump is making this um shocked face, the surprised face, he has um some spare chins. And it's rather unfortunate the way the the way the chin skin chin markings appear on the on the body of the model where I I don't know if you admit that you were the model in this in this picture. I, I, don't, I think this is one of those times that you just tell the family, yeah, I got paid for doing some swimsuit modeling, and you just keep moving. Don't tell anybody. And if somebody out there has this, I need you to call in right now, 888 900 It's called Shocked Trump, and of course, it, it, it's out there. Oh, boy. It it might be a sign the world is ending today. This might be the signal that, that we are about to completely lose all control and everything is going to just circle down the drain. And there we go. A couple of uh, interesting responses from those of you in the vast and unpaid resource department, the smartest listeners on the planet. The Duchess of Cofefe Stacy Rippey, writes... Uh, her representative just got yanked for a duty for deployment in Somalia. So a uh, representative going off to Somalia, a Tulsa, Tulsa District 25, Representative uh, Bixby. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's the town. Uh, the representative is Newhouse, representing district 25, including Tulsa, Bixby, Broken Arrow and Jenks, Oklahoma, headed to Somalia. Well, sir, Senator Newhouse, uh, God bless and safe travel, sir. We were talking about the the information I got that says we're we're going to be sending some of our national guard to um, places like. El Salvador to fight ISIS as it joins up with MS-13. Very disturbing. And uh, the Nerf Herder uh, 36, Nerf Herder 36, does that mean there are 35 other Nerf Herders? I just wonder. On Twitter, says, I'm still disturbed that our active duty military and reserves are so small that we have to deploy National Guard overseas. I am with you. I am with you, Mr. Herder. Completely with you. It is disturbing, but yet these are the men and women who volunteer on our behalf. They are, uh, they are among the best among us. So that's why I like to keep track of what they're doing and pray for them. Taking a break, when we come back, we'll get into more of this. Um, if you really wanna see it, I posted a photo of the shocked Trump bathing suit on the Twitter. Share it with friends especially those who will laugh out loud because they probably need it. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with
1: Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka,
1: part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: If
2: you haven't heard any angry rhetoric out of Democrats for a week or two, then today's your opportunity. You'll be able to turn on virtually any news channel you wish, whether it's liberal, conservative, or whatever and pretty much here Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and uh Dick Durbin just about anybody going off on the 140 pages 142 pages from uh our our friends in the um in the Republican Party who put out their discussion copy this is a draft known as a discussion draft of the health care bill, that they would like to have a discussion. They would like to have a discussion with uh, both um, members of the House and the Senate. Well, mostly members of the Senate. This will first go to the Senate. They'll have discussion. They'll have proposals for uh, different amendments. And and then they'll go on to uh, a little bit more time of debating it. And then there will be a vote. Of course... Chucky Schumer and Dick Durbin are very upset that they weren't included, that they weren't invited to the party. But then again, they're probably having flashbacks that this is what they said would happen to them once they were out of power back in 2009 when they really did not include the Republicans in the Affordable Care Act discussions. And when they were told, you, you really need to include Republicans because one day you'll be out of power and there'll be a, a bill that you will want to be a part of. And, and uh, oh don't be stupid. We'll never be out of power. We have a 60 votes in the Senate. Oh, oh, wait. Look. So we'll try and give you a little bit of what's, what's in the bill and what's not in the bill. What's in the House bill versus the Senate bill. One of the big things that most of us were disturbed about from Obamacare was that individual mandate that required most Americans to have health insurance or pay a fine. And this was also going to force expansion of the IRS, and they were going to be suddenly this uh, enforcement arm. And remember, we had all of the all of the questions about why is the IRS buying so many bullets? Why are all these government agencies uh Basically, arming up. Well, the individual mandate from the from Obamacare. It uh, it it kind of was in the House bill, but not in the House bill. In the House bill, the the um, the individual mandate becomes uh, sort of a a premium charge. So, if you purchase a new plan. After you've let your coverage lapse, the insurance companies can hit you with a 30% premium surcharge. And each individual state would then choose to have this this penalty, uh, bigger or worse. It's about incentivizing healthy people to stay insured. In the current Senate draft, the individual mandate is totally eliminated. Nothing replacing it. No incentive for people to get insurance. The employer mandate is the other thing. There's a whole lot of mandates. These are governments mandating things happen. The employer mandate required bigger companies to have affordable coverage offered to their employees. In both the House and the Senate drafts on this bill, the House bill that passed, that is eliminated completely. And then the other one that's often talked about is um, the young adults being able to stay in their parents' health insurance plan until they are 26 years old. Um, a lot of people have talked about that. Apparently, based on what we can figure out, and granted, this bill just kind of leaked out, or it was just posted a little bit before the show, but those, those are staying in there, those provisions. So young adults, no matter what you're saying, it, it, this bill, as Chuck Schumer's going to call it, mean, and he's quoting Donald Trump, they're going to keep saying mean, 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 mean. No matter what you hear, this, the employer mandate, which actually could help uh, people who have been stuck in 29 hour week jobs, maybe get more hours at work, maybe young adults are allowed to stay on the parents' health care coverage. And uh, there's a couple of difference of opinion on the individual mandate. So we'll, we'll get into that. Now, paying for the coverage is interesting. Affordable Care Act has tax credits that are based on income and age and location, geography. And um, they benefit lower income people, moderate income people, because you were supposed to be able to buy through these marketplaces, these exchanges. And in the House bill, they had tax credits that were based on age or related to age, not necessarily tied to income. The amount would not increase when premiums increased, however. And people living in the higher-cost areas wouldn't receive any any extra money. So there was no, no real uh, relationship to actual cost of living based on where you are in the House bill. In the Senate bill, the tax credits, like Obamacare, would primarily be based on age, income, and geography. But they would be made to... Uh, cover a, a thinner plan as it were and people needed to have lower income than uh, the Obamacare levels of income were so you had to be worse off financially in the Senate bill now in terms of the cost sharing um, the Obamacare had these cost sharing subsidies that were provided to insurers to help some of their customers cover co-payments, deductibles, et cetera. In the House bill, these are over in three years. In 2020, they're done. And Trump could actually, based on executive action, he could cut those off earlier. In the Senate bill, they also end in 2020. And Trump could also. So that's pretty much the same on those cost-sharing subsidies. In, uh, in the category of pre-existing conditions, that's also another big thing that the Democrats are, are hooting and hollering about saying, what about pre-existing conditions? Because this was a hot button for many people, many voters. In, in the Obamacare, insurance companies could not increase premiums or deny coverage to anybody based on a pre-existing condition. Under the House bill, the states could allow insurers to increase somebody's premiums based on pre-existing conditions, if they had a lapse in their coverage, so in other words, if you let your coverage die and then you went to get coverage, you you could get an increased premium because you had a pre-existing condition. And some of the states would set up uh, a high-risk pool to cover the sickest people, and then the federal government would have its own $8 billion fund to help cover those sick people's high premiums. This was one of the things that was bandied about when the House bill came through. They said $8 billion is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Now, under, under the Senate bill, it's pretty much Obamacare. It's the same thing. Insurance companies can't increase anyone's premiums or deny coverage based on pre existing conditions. So, in the Senate bill, when you hear someone like Rand Paul or Ted Cruz, or maybe Mike Lee, say that this feels like Obamacare-lite, there are a couple places you can point to that it actually looks like Obamacare. Now, it goes on. There's more here that we can talk about. I know this is geeky. I know this is total wonky, but this is what the argument is today. So if somebody says, well, what about pre-existing conditions? The Senate bill has it. What about staying on your parents' insurance? The Senate bill has it. So I want to know where, where's the elimination of Obamacare and where is where's the actual saving? Where are we going to get back a, a free market approach to health care? This, this goes on. Again, we're talking on how you're going to pay for this and how you pay for coverage, you as an individual. Insurance companies under Obamacare could charge older customers up to three times more than they charge younger customers. So there was a price differential based on age. There was a, a, a bias built into Obamacare that said if somebody's older, you can charge them more money than you charge young customers. And basically, that's what insurance companies do because younger people don't get as sick as often as older people do. That's just basic uh, actuarial accounting. I think that's the right term. Under the House bill, however, insurance companies would be allowed to charge older customers up to five times more than charge younger customers. Although in the House bill, states could change this and there's, there's no real clarity on the wording of whether it could be higher than five to one or whether it was going to be lower. In the, in the Senate bill, It's it's the same thing as Obamacare, but instead of three up to three times more than younger customers, you can charge up to five times more. And therein lies one of the ways that the Democrats can say this is not just a a mean bill. It's a meaner bill because it allows insurance companies to charge up to five times higher rates than it charges younger people. Well, Obamacare was allowing three times. And and basically, what's the difference three times or five times? It's. It's both a hideous increase, if you ask me, if you're trying to be fair, but then the free market would say that insurance companies should be allowed to set rates and people be allowed to buy them as they see fit. Individuals, you know, the health savings account. Under Obamacare, you could put money, pre-tax money, into health savings accounts, up to $6,750 dollars individuals up to 3400 families up to 6750 in in the house bill the health savings accounts pretty much double individuals go up to 6500 and families up to 13100 now that's a chunk of money if you can put over $1000 a month into a health savings account and not be taxed on it if you're in a 30% tax bracket that's going to save you 3 grand a month so that's a pretty healthy deal. And those are health savings accounts, meaning you have to spend that money every year on your health-related expenses and or health care. And the, the Senate bill is just is kind of um, vague because it says people can put more into their health savings accounts than under the Affordable Care Act. So it's, it's just kind of vague. There's nothing there. But in the House bill, health savings accounts, and this might be a place where the House and the Senate in reconciliation will say, hey, we're going to take care of the health savings accounts. There's a couple more points I want to get into, but I think I should step aside and take a break. We'll look at high risk pool creation. We'll look at other key elements of the of the comparison of the bills. I know it's wonky, but it is the news of the day, and we'll cover it next on Pure
0: Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Welcome back. We
2: were uh, discussing the difference between Obamacare, the House bill that passed the House, barely, and the Senate bill, the, the one that we saw, the 140-page discussion draft, come out today. And uh, I got to the point of a couple of different things here in, in the bill. There's only a couple of things left. In terms of Medicaid, the states are able to expand Medicaid to cover people making more than the poverty line, up to 138% on Obamacare. And then the federal government would cover a, a giant outsized portion of those costs. In in the House bill, the states would not be able to expand Medicaid after this year. And states that do expand it by the deadline the federal government will pay a smaller portion, so they would cut it for people who sign up after 2019. In, um, in the Senate bill that just came out, states that expand Medicaid, the federal government would pay, again, a smaller portion, another talking point that the Democrats will use, saying it's the mean bill. Any other critical elements here? Um, Under the Obamacare, they have this essential health benefits clause. Well, uh, in the House bill, the states can change and decide what's in the essential health benefits area, and that's also in the Senate bill. In the um, Obamacare, Planned Parenthood is eligible for Medicaid reimbursements, but federal money cannot fund abortions. In uh, the House bill, there's a one-year Medicaid funding freeze for Planned Parenthood. Same in the Senate bill. So now you know why Planned Parenthood is totally against this, because at at best, they, um, they lose one year of funding if the House or the Senate bill passes. And that's not to say there won't be changes. This is the discussion bill. This is the one that they bring out to have everybody discuss, and then they'll begin— the arguments, they'll begin the debate. They'll begin talking about amendments. And there is limited time because this is going through a budget reconciliation program. It is not a new bill. And that was a political maneuver made on behalf of the, de- of the Republicans to get them to be able to push this through quicker. If everything works as McConnell and company have planned, there will be a vote next Thursday. Maybe next Friday. We'll see. Come on back.
0: Pure Opelka.
1: With Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Pelka
0: with Michael Pelka.
1: Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: All
2: right. Second hour, Puro Pelka. There's some big stuff going on. Uh, some real interesting stuff going on, as a matter of fact. And it involves, some of it involves the White House. But I have to, I have to get into this, this story. I heard about this yesterday afternoon. I don't know if you know who the comedian Ron White is. He's a funny guy. One of those kind of rednecky comics, but he is very dry and hilarious. And Ron White was talking to some friends of mine on another radio show. And they were all fascinated because Ron White has his own tequila. He and some buddies decided they like tequila so much that they were going to go to Mexico and find a way to make their own tequila. And they did. And they're actually doing okay with it. I'm not a big tequila drinker. I, I understand the people who drink it. I understand the people who do the shots of tequila. And I understand the people who sip tequila. I just don't have a giant tequila craving in my makeup. But that's fine. You know, that's why there's all those different flavors of ice cream, too. But in the course of talking about his tequila and how how difficult it was or easy it was to deal with the country of Mexico in making your product there and then shipping it around the world, Mr. White was talking about the fact that that George Clooney and Randy Gerber, two famous folks, Randy Gerber married to Cindy Crawford, yes. George Clooney, married to Amal. Now they have twins, I think. But Clooney and Gerber started their own tequila company in 2013. Casa Amigos Tequila. And Clooney was saying, we went into the business of making tequila on a very small batch level to make it for our friends. They just wanted to make kind of vanity tequila. And, uh... It caught on and because of the power of celebrity in this country, Uh, George Clooney's tequila and Randy Gerber's tequila did well and it it went public. And yesterday, the the liquor giant Diageo, a gigantic company that owns all kinds of beverages, uh, adult beverages that many of us have consumed, bought George Clooney's company. For well, the the number in the paper is a billion dollars, but if you break it down, it's essentially seven hundred million dollars now with the chance to cash in on another three hundred million down the road. And I'm sure there'll be no no telethon for George Clooney. Clooney's take on this, his walk away from this deal is two hundred and thirty three million. I don't think he needs to make movies anymore, does he? Or maybe he only need and, and as if that's working, the way they treated George Clooney. George Clooney nets $233 million for selling his tequila company that he started with Cindy Crawford's husband, Randy Gerber. Uh, four years, less than four years after they started it. Now, the the secret here, or the answer here, is... Chase what you love. If you, want to, if you want to find a business that you can do and you can get behind, it's really hard to start a business, it's, especially if it's your own business and it's your money and it's your sweat equity that's going into it. So you might as well love what you do. You might as well be totally enamored of it or else it's gonna, the tough days are going to drive you out. It's going to stink on ice. So Clooney and his buddies were into tequila. They made tequila. People liked the tequila. They ended up getting a lot of attention. Now, yes, being named George Clooney doesn't hurt. With your business partner, being married to uh, Cindy Crawford doesn't hurt either. But they still parlayed what they loved into a successful business that ultimately became Something that someone else wanted to purchase And it was bought And the, the, all the headlines say Clooney sells his tequila business for What is it? A uh, billion dollars But it's not really a billion dollars it's, it's 700 million I know, what are we fighting over? With an incentive clause to Elevate it to another 300 million Good deal for George Clooney Good for you, George Clooney Very, very good for you we were talking in the first hour, a majority of the first hour, we discussed the release of the of the discussion draft of the health care bill out of the uh, Senate. And there are a lot of people talking about it. I think we gave you a pretty good overview on it. You're going to see more and more and more. And, and the next week, you're going to be sick of it. But when it's done, then we'll either go forward on it or... Obamacare will go away forever or it will be the law of the land. I don't know. Uh, And yes, uh, yes, I also posted the picture of the shocked Donald Trump swimsuit that if you want to see it, you have to go to my Twitter account. If you're getting ready to have lunch, if you need an appetite suppressant, this might be a good time to go there. Some other news that's come out of Twitter today. Do you follow Donald Trump? Do you follow the real Donald J. Trump on Twitter? And do you follow the POTUS account as well? Uh, Just uh, earlier today, not too long ago, Donald Trump posted on his real Donald Trump Twitter account with all of the recent reported electronic surveillance, intercepts, unmasking, and illegal leaking of information I have no idea whether there are tapes or recordings of my conversations with James Comey, but I did not make and do not have any such recordings. All right, there you go. And now CNN and MSNBC are going to spend the next day or two questioning why the president even posted that hint that there might be. Because remember, he said, James Comey better hope there are no tapes and tapes was in quotes, air quotes here. I'm using a better hope. There are no tapes of our conversations before he stops, starts leaking things to the press. Um, They're going to analyze why the president did this. And I, I have it broken down. I know exactly why Donald Trump had you guys all twisting about tapes because he can it's called jerking your chain, Wolf. It's And I can't wait till Rachel Maddow has to deal with this. It's going to freak her out. Chris Matthews, going to have a hard time tonight. But then they will spend more time on the health care bill than anything else. So I'm just saying, pay attention. The, the president said there are no tapes, no recordings. He does not. He, he's... He won again. He did it again. You'd think that these guys would stop running up to kick the football from Lucy, but no. No, they don't. Now, speaking of the president, Donald Trump was out and about last night. As he put it, he got got out of the D.C. swamp and went and held a campaign-style rally in Iowa. It was a a massive rally with a, a very enthusiastic crowd. There was one moment in in the event, one moment when there were some protesters who showed up and tried to disrupt things. Just one little moment. And I thought, yeah, whatever. No big deal. Uh, And it happened as the president was actually paying tribute to Congressman Steve Scalise. And if you listen closely you'll start to hear the whistles blowing in the background. They're, they're like the regular whistle you'd buy at the, at the five and dime store, like a kid's toy whistle. They're still very loud.
3: I'd like to also take this moment to send our thoughts and prayers to our courageous friend, somebody that I've gotten to know very well, Steve Scalise, and everyone recovering from the assault. So you hear the booing, the people
2: started booing the protesters who were blowing the whistles. Trump didn't say anything about the protesters. He let it go. He let it happen. But if you listen, it just seemed odd to me that that was the moment they picked, the one moment that's supposed to be a unifying moment, saying, oh, gee, maybe maybe let's make a bunch of noise as he's talking about Steve Scalise. I'm sure they had no idea he was going there. And as they were all lined up with their little whistles, ready to make noise and interrupt, the president was trying to pay tribute to a guy who's still fighting. Scalise is in much better condition now. He's, as you know, he's been out of the ICU for a while. He's going to be moved to a rehabilitation facility, hopefully able to be on the the field next year. I'm betting we see that moment next year of Steve Scalise at the congressional baseball game. Um, I'm going to step sidestep the rest of the Trump rally for a minute because we need to pay tribute and say, good move, Bono. For years, Bono, the guy, the front man of U2, used to drive me crazy because I thought he was Mr. Self-Righteous. He was Mr. Sacrosanct. He was going to be the guy to tell everybody what to do. But lately, Bono's kind of impressed me. And done some impressive things, and had a pretty good grasp on how to deal with both sides of the aisle. And yesterday, Bono stopped by the offices of the staff of Steve Scalise to, to you know, encourage him to get well, to get better. And um, then at a show in the area, he actually made mention of it to the audience.
4: Hold on a little time, it's worse. You mean.
2: Through some troubling days here with the shooting in Alexandria. We are so grateful
4: that Congressman Scalise and his comrades made it through.
3: So grateful. We hold them up
5: as love holds us all
2: up. Nice. Nice thoughts. We hold them up as love holds us all up. Good for you, Bono. Good for you, showing that we, we can have. Differences of opinion and be bipartisan. It's nice to see. Now, back at the Trump rally, the president actually had a little fun last night, I think. <laughs> I think he had some fun going after the, uh, the mainstream media, specifically MSNBC, took some shots. Uh, he, went, uh, he went after uh, John Ossoff. He went after the Democrats in general for their obstructionism. And he lauded his supporters. I will play some, some moments from that, each one of those, just around the corner
0: when Pure Opelka returns. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Okay, the mystery solved. The mainstream media is going to obsess about. There are no Trump tapes, but there was a Trump rally last night. I don't know if you caught it, but Donald Trump, Iowa, had a nice crowd there. A little bit of a dust up with some protesters who were blowing whistles. Come on, people. This is what they do, this is the resistance.
1: They blow whistles.
2: He did talk about the election in, um, in the Georgia and in South Carolina, but he was specifically talking about Karen Handel. And he had, he had a couple of funny words on that, especially
3: what he said uh, about John Ossoff. They spent close to $30 million on this kid. Who forgot to live in the community that he was in. I mean, you know. It's a good kind of off-the-cuff line. Forgot to live in the
2: community he was running to be elected for. Yeah, you know, not good. He was having a good time last night, the president. And he went after He went after uh, MSNBC or NBC primarily. He went after all the networks. But he talked about uh, NBC, phony NBC, he called him.
3: This phony NBC television network. Now let's remember, this phony
2: NBC television network was also paying Donald Trump a whole bunch of money for The Apprentice and The Celebrity Apprentice. Were those phony checks then, sir? You know, I know you're having some fun zinging the news division, But you were part of that family. You cashed those checks from that phony NBC. It does strike me funny. I'm sorry if I'm laughing, but it makes me laugh when I hear stuff like this. Uh, All right, I'll, I'll let him continue. We'll cue it up again. You can hear him have fun.
3: This phony NBC television network. They actually had one of the people say, you know... It was a little rainy last night. Maybe that was the difference in Karen's race. Can you believe that? But, but they had these beautiful studios. And if Karen Handel had lost, they, were, they would have blamed it on me, which is fine. But if she had lost, they would have been there for weeks talking about this. This would have been the greatest defeat in the history of American politics.
2: He's not wrong. That's the interesting part. Donald Trump is not wrong. If you watched MSNBC on on Tuesday night, and I was going back and forth from CNN to MSNBC to see what was happening because it became more and more apparent that Karen Handel's advantage, her, her lead, was not going to be eroded and she was ultimately going to prevail. And the more this became obvious, the less time both of those networks spent on it. And they quickly shifted back to Russia. We need to talk about Russia and maybe some discussions about the hidden health care bill, as they called it. And if you if you happen to stay up late, there's a program on MSNBC called The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. And uh, Bri Wy is relegated to this late night spot now because of his uh, other problems with the truth. And they had virtually uh, just a handful of minutes about the election, and they did have a full network set up there. They were ready to go live. They would have been hot to go. Trump continued talking about NBC and how fast they got out
3: of town. When she won, when they said projected winner is Karen Handel, (laughs) then they said, we switch to another program right so it was so short they couldn't get out of there fast enough he was in his element last night
2: and he had every right to be having some fun with it he also went after democrats on their obstruction and uh i have to tell you he's spot on on this this is you know politics as usual but the president had every right to go after it and he let the democrats have it over
3: obstruction And by the way, if we had even a little Democrat support, just a little, like a couple of votes, you'd have everything. And you could give us a lot of votes, and we'd even be willing to change it and move it around and try and make it even better. It's going to have good heart, but even better. But again, they just want to stop. They just want to obstruct. A few votes, seriously, a few votes from the Democrats It could be so easy and so beautiful and you'd have cooperation and their plan isn't working. And their plan isn't working. They've lost those four special
2: elections. The president is right. Interesting that he's trying to take on the role here as the Senate does its thing with the health care bill without him being involved. The president is trying to take on the role of being the hands across the aisle guy. If they would just work with us, we would make it so much better for all of you. And I loved what the president said about his supporters last night. He talked about the strength of all the individual Trump supporters, and they were eating it up, too.
3: We have the hardest working, the smartest people, the toughest people. They're very lucky that our people don't protest. Believe me. Believe me. They're very lucky. Well, he,
2: he does know there are a certain group of Trump supporters who do protest. <laughs> and they're not quiet. But that was last night in Iowa. I thought the president was having a pretty good time. And he should have had a good time. He earned that night after the victory they had in South Carolina and in Georgia. We'll be back after the break.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka.
1: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Uh, the halftime show is over, and we're into the second half of today's edition of Pure Opelka. I will get to that flashback to history, and a couple of things in American history that happened on today. Uh, and both of them, one one I'm kind of good with, and one I'm still up in the air. We've been covering the release of the GOP Senate healthcare discussion draft that was out. And uh, reporting on a couple different outlets are saying there are at least three GOP senators who oppose the current bill, which doesn't mean anything because we expected that. And there's going to be some negotiation back and forth. But before we dive back into uh, the topics, I have to remind you: if you are feeling like you're not a hundred percent, if you're not. If you're not able to get outside and enjoy your life or even stay inside and enjoy your life because of chronic pain from inflammation around your joints, around your knees, your hips, your back, your neck, you have to try Relief Factor. What are you waiting on? Relief Factor did it for me. I'm into my 17th week. It's one of those things that you you stop the irritation and suddenly the pain is gone. And once the pain is gone, you don't need the the painkillers, the over-the-counter stuff or the prescription, I don't take anything, haven't touched one in 16 weeks, 15, 16 weeks, haven't touched a painkiller of any kind. All I take is Relief Factor. Uh, don't take my word for it, Listen to listen to Nicole and her experience with Relief Factor. I started getting numbing like carpal tunnel, but
1: then I started realizing it was all up in my shoulder. The cramping, the pain, it was almost unbearable. When
2: I started taking Relief Factor, it just seemed like everything relaxed.
1: And I'm able to stretch it out now. I'm able to work it out. I'm able to sleep. To me, it is a lifesaver.
2: And I agree with Nicole. So give them a call. Pick up the phone. Tell them you want the three-week quick start pack 800-500-8384 800-500-8384 get the three-week quick start pack it's $19.99 or check them out at relieffactor.com it's it, it's just well find it for yourself then get back to me on it michael Palka on the, the blaze radio network we are looking at a couple of different stories and um, I, I've, been, I've been monitoring, well, I've been monitoring, as you know, yesterday we did the story about genders and gender dysphoria. And I asked, uh, how many genders are there? And, and we had this interesting vital question survey that came out with the majority of you, which I expected, saying two genders. And then the second most popular answer was, can we stop this craziness? And then a few people actually voted, like 2% voted there are three genders, and uh, 2% voted there are more than three. Later on, about in uh, just about 40 minutes from right now, I want to talk more seriously about the subject of gender dysphoria, because there's more at play here. And there's a, a story about transgenderism, which is now being promoted Basically, throughout America, we're basically telling people, you know, if you're just uncomfortable, maybe you're just the wrong gender. And there's there's something else at play here, I think, especially when you look deeper into the lives and the minds and the psyches of the people who have gender dysphoria. And we're going to we're going to have a serious discussion at 20 minutes after the next hour. So I want you to make sure you're here for it. It's going to be one of those. It might be a little uncomfortable. It might be one of those things that you go, wait a minute, Mike. Are are we really going to talk about this? Yes, we are. because, Because it's an important topic. It's a topic that deserves to be discussed, especially when the left and so many out there are pushing this gender narrative that just makes no sense to me. Makes absolutely no sense to me. So you have to be here next hour for that. Now, there was also something that popped earlier today that I want to play it for you because um, it may explain a couple of things, but it also points out a problem that's ongoing, a recurrent problem. Yesterday at at the end of the show, we had an amazing discussion with Representative Barry Loudermilk. And uh, Representative Loudermilk is one of the people who's helped push or helping to push the same bill that Rob Manis was pushing when he was on with Glenn Beck today. And it's about reciprocity, wanting reciprocity for concealed carry holders in uh, the District of Columbia. So if I'm a concealed carry holder and I have a permit, which I do in Delaware and Pennsylvania and Utah, which covers 33 states, I should be able to go into the District of Columbia with it, with this reciprocity law. And it's not just for members of Congress. It's for all American citizens. And the reason why I support it? Well, you have to look no further than some of the voicemails that are being released now from Jason Chaffetz, the congressman who's leaving Congress, Allegedly to be heading over to the Fox network. We're not quite sure exactly, but that's kind of what the scuttle is. But Jason Chaffetz released a voicemail he got. And I will tell you, this would encourage me to maybe look outside of Congress and into a job with Fox as well. Not just the pay, but the security. Listen to the voicemail he received.
5: Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz wants police to take threats against politicians more seriously. It comes after he received these disturbing voicemails.
1: Hey, Jason Chaffetz,
3: I suggest you prepare for the battle, mother in the apocalypse. Because we're going to put your down, wrap him up right your neck, and hang him from a lamppost.
2: So in case you didn't understand, the poor diction of that angry person Hey Jason Chaffetz although he said Chaffetz I suggest you prepare for the battle mother effer and the apocalypse because we're going to hunt down your a you're going to hunt down your ass and i guess the rest of him too and wrap a rope around your neck and hang you from a lamp post not good not comforting, not anything. And I, I fully understand this this message was left for Jason Chaffetz in March, in early March. So March eighth, this message was left on his voicemail. I fully understand why Jason Chaffetz would say, I've done everything I can here. I have to think about my family. I have to think about my future. And um I, I don't want to be shot, especially if I can't defend myself. If I'm not allowed to carry in this district, I certainly I certainly can't see. And, and he's not going to be given. Um, he's not going to be given the, the kind of protective patrol that Steve Scalise had. And, and Steve Scalise still ended up fighting for his life. That message is a little bit chilling, isn't it? Just a little bit chilling. So I, I fully understand why Jason Chaffetz has made a, d- a decision to alter his life. Yesterday, there was also something that, that gave me chills and uh, something that also explained a whole lot from last year. Uh, we still have to get into the, the latest on North Korea and uh, General Mattis. We have to also give you an update on the Michigan airport story. And uh, there was a hearing yesterday and with Jason Chaffetz stepping aside from his role in Congress, Trey Gowdy has stepped into that role of leading the, uh, the hearings that's doing the investigation into uh, DHS and the Russians and, and why DHS didn't get a hold of the servers. Jay Johnson, Obama's uh, director of Homeland Security, was on the hot seat yesterday And he said some really uh, troubling things. And we'll get into that, plus, uh, plus we will talk about Trey Gowdy's responses to what Jay Johnson said, and we'll take care of that just around the corner when Pure Opelka returns.
0: Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We were
2: discussing all kinds of things, things D.C., things globally, things internationally. And uh, I wanted to get to what happened yesterday when Homeland Security was being quizzed by Trey Gowdy and the, the House Committee investigating the alleged collusion with the Russians. And uh, Jay Johnson was up there, but prior to that, there was another member of the DHS staff that was talking about the attempts to break into our computer systems by Russian hackers, the computer systems that worked or tied to the election. And uh, this was one of the things that kind of got everybody's attention.
3: Are we prepared today to say publicly how many states were targeted?
5: We, as of right now, we have evidence of 21 states, or election-related systems in 21 states that were targeted.
3: But in no case were actual vote tallies altered in any way, shape, or form?
2: That is correct. Interesting, right? 21 states. Now, keep that in mind, that we knew there was hacking going on at the DNC headquarters, but... There was also rumor that the Russians were trying to hack into the voting systems in different states. Not only did we know this, but the the DNC knew this. The Debbie Wasserman Schultz-led DNC was aware of this. And Jay Johnson, the guy who was in charge of Homeland Security, was on the hot seat yesterday, and Trey Gowdy was talking to him about the hacking of the DNC, and in the course of talking about the hacking, Johnson made a couple of really alarming statements about why or why didn't the DNC get help to try and a stop the hacking, patch the servers, block the uh, ill ill uh, the, well the the bad actors from trying to get inside.
0: I recall very clearly that I was not pleased that we were not in there uh, helping them patch this vulnerability. DHS does not have the power to issue a search warrant or get a search warrant and go in and patch their vulnerabilities over their objections.
2: So interesting language there. DHS does not have the ability to get a search warrant to go in and patch that vulnerability over their objections. Over their objections. That's the key phrase. We don't have the right to go in and, and, and tell them we want to fix this because you guys are being hacked. Over their objections. Hmm. I wonder why they were objecting. No, we don't. we got this. Don't worry about it. But you're getting all your stuff is getting hacked. They've got all your information. The Russians are doing this and they're leaking it. Well, that's okay. We got this. We're good. Well, Trey Gowdy was asked about it later in the day. He made a couple of different appearances on different news networks. And Trey Gowdy's statements, to me,
1: quite clear, very clear. I don't like speculating, but, but but I have dealt in the past with victims who would not cooperate with investigations. And typically, the reason is there's something else you don't want law enforcement to see. There is no reason to not allow DHS to, to patch or fix a vulnerability in the DNC system. And heavens knows there's no reason to not give the world's premier law enforcement agency, which is the FBI, yeah. the evidence they may need to stop another attack from 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 hurting someone
2: else interesting right Trey Gowdy saying first of all why won't you let the FBI come in and fix your system why wouldn't you stop it if you had the opportunity and he I think he correctly surmises that the reason you don't do it is because there's something in those systems that you worry about getting out that someone else could see and there's something in those systems that could be a problem And then additionally, he wonders if you're so concerned, if you're so service based and service oriented and you really care about the the safety and security of the American system, our electoral process, because that's what we're constantly hearing, all these hand wringing testimonies. And questioning from these, these Democratic House members and Senate members, we're so concerned about the process, protecting our electoral process, that we must make sure that these Russians don't have access to our systems. If you're so damn concerned about it, seriously, seriously. Mr. and Miss Democratic Representative, why in the hell would you block the people who could stop it? And why the hell would you not help them find the people who are attempting to hack into at least 21 other states? It doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, as Judge Judy has taught us, it's not true. So this is the big lie. This is the big lie from the Democrats. They didn't want it to stop. They didn't want to let him in. Why? Why? Because there was something on those servers that probably would cause them more trouble than the leaks of the emails. And that's the reality. Michael Pelka and Pure Opelka. We'll be right back.
0: Pure Opelka
1: with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network
4: podcasts that relate to your life
0: the blaze radio network on demand you're listening to pure opelka
1: this is pure opelka
0: with mike opelka
1: only on the blaze radio network
0: all right,
2: third hour. Piero Pelka, welcome to the program. You know the number triple eight nine hundred three three nine three eight 888-900-3393. I didn't work up a vital question of the day today. I was looking at doing something about the voting age, and the reason I was looking at doing something about the voting age is because today, if we if we do our take a look back in history thing, today is rich in history. Today has a whole bunch of stuff, important stuff in history. For example, on June 22nd in 1870, the United States Department of Justice was created. So we didn't have that for you know, pretty much the first hundred years of the country. In 1970, President Richard Nixon signed the amendment, 26th I believe it is, lowering the voting age in America to 18 it had been 21 if you wanted to elect a president you had to be 21 years old and i i think this is this is one of those things that i've questioned now the voting age like i said it had been 21 years old but vietnam seemed to change a lot of things in this country the vietnam war which was sending thousands of young men overseas to fight in the rice paddies of Vietnam and many of them coming home in body bags many of them coming home disfigured many of them coming home shell-shocked from battle with we didn't know it was PTSD at the time thousands if you've ever seen the wall in Washington DC you understand the Vietnam War I was a young guy and we had kids, who neighbors, who went over and never came back. We had gold star families in the neighborhood. And so many of the young people said, hey, what the hell? These, these people are sending us to war, and we have no say in, in them keeping their jobs. And I think a lot of that sparked this interest in, in lowering the voting age from 21 to 18. And it also created a brand new demographic for politicians to have to deal with. An 18 to 20-year-old category, a growing category, as baby boomers had kids that were now coming of age. Now, you were old enough to go and die for your country, but before Nixon signed that amendment into law, you, you couldn't decide, you couldn't vote. You could buy a car, you could buy a house, you were considered an adult, but you couldn't. You were of your majority, but you couldn't vote to see who the president would be. So that happened on this day, but that's one that I, I was going to ask, because should the voting age be raised? And you know there would be a war in the streets if we tried to say 21, but then again, we've redefined adulthood now as 26 years old by the healthcare standards. And Obamacare plus the House bill and the draft of the new Senate bill all keep adulthood in terms of health care at 26 years old. So it's an interesting question. When does adulthood begin? And I'm not going to use that millennial phrase adulting, but there's another question here. Or another moment of history here that's worth taking a look at, that's worth remembering. It's a a moment that I think forever changed America for the good. And you almost never hear me talk about something great that was done under FDR. You'll almost never hear me mention FDR and then say something glowing about the administration. Why? Because there was very little about the FDR administration that I can find uh, happiness with. And it was on June 22nd in, um, in 1944 that FDR signed what's known as the GI Bill. And I, and I think this is probably one of the things that seriously altered America's future for the better. And here's the deal. If you were to look at America at that time, we, we did not make college a priority for most young men and women. As a matter of fact, uh, leading up to, well, well let's say in 1939, 160,000 Americans graduated from college. And then in the midst of the war and the, the soldiers coming back from the war, we realized that we had a problem with these veterans who didn't have the jobs, they didn't have the support, they did not have the education. And so the Servicemen's Readjustment Act, officially titled, also known as the GI Bill, was signed in 1944. And what it did, because they were worried about the the Great Depression coming back, us having another one, what the GI Bill did was provide money support for many veterans. It helped them with unemployment compensation. It helped with loans, low interest loans for a home, a business, and probably the most important part of the GI bill was the money that was provided to veterans for education, giving veterans money to go to school, And it also offered living expenses. It paid for books and supplies and equipment. We put a priority on higher education. We put a priority on college for for the young men who had just fought to keep the world free. Okay, so let's go back to 1939 when 160,000 Americans graduated from college. In 1944, just five years later, the bill is signed, the GI bill is signed, encouraging veterans to go to school, get a college education, chase chase a higher education and maybe an American dream. Just a few years later, just three years later, in 1947, veterans made up half, 50% of college enrollment. And then three years after that, in 1950, Just six years after the GI Bill in 1950, a half a million Americans graduated from college. You had 160,000 in 1939. You had a half a million Americans graduating from college in 1950. And the the push of those college-educated young men into the marketplace, I contend, helped, helped elevate America helped grow us as a nation, helped us develop all of the great minds, great businesses. We had then, you had people that were fanning out across the country that were were college educated, that then shared that education, that had advanced training in agriculture, commerce, mining, everything that had only been informally taught was now being formally taught. The GI Bill was Huge. 20 million vets and dependents use the education benefits. 14 million home loans have been guaranteed. A federal investment of $67 billion, and I dare say it's one of the great, great benefits of, of this country. One of the great ideas that has benefited this country beyond our understanding. George Bush used the GI Bill. George H.W. Bush. Gerald Ford. Al Gore, Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood. I remember interviewing Ed McMahon, oh, about 20 years ago, and he talked about his life as a Marine, and then he talked about the GI Bill after he got out of the service. Imagine what this country would be like if we had kept college education as something only the rich and the privileged could have we would be nowhere near where we are today. The GI Bill, on this date, 1944, signed by FDR. A guy you will almost never hear me say something good about. If you want to know what FDR's real effect on the country was, pick up Amity Schley's book, The Forgotten Man. I think it's about six or seven years old. It is a terrific read, And you will understand why I fight against progressive influence in this country and progressivism and why I so dislike what the Democrats are up to. All right, I'm going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we're going to have this tough conversation about one of the strange effects of transgenderism on the people who haven't got a grasp who suffer from or have diagnosed as gender dysphoria victims. And that's next on Pure Opelka.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Pure Pelka with Mike Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Pelka. A tough time, tough subject, tough honest subject that we have to talk about. And and I think it's okay for us to approach uncomfortable subjects on this show because you guys are smart enough. You guys are solid. You you are adults. I'm not going to say we're being adulting here because that would be using a millennial term and I'd have to give myself a timeout for being creepy. But yesterday we approached the subject of gender and how many genders there are. And I got a note from somebody that said, well, you know, the army says they recognize 10 genders. And I was like screaming, no. And I recognized two. And then I recognized that there is a, uh, a teeny tiny group of people who are born with both genders and they are very unfortunate in their lot in life, but I don't think that means the whole world is going to identify uh, as all these different fluctuating genders. And I get, I laugh when people ask me, what's your PGP? What's your preferred gender pronoun? Because it just seems silly. Because God didn't give us, well, it's a different discussion. But yesterday's vital question about how many genders there are, then triggered this, this interest in some stories about uh, gender dysphoria, one of which appears on the stream.org, written by Liberty McCarter. And uh, Liberty is a staff writer at the stream. You can see her stuff on the stream.org. She came out of the radio world at a, at a place I've actually done some work, WMAL, Washington's Mall, as they call it. And the subject in this, uh, the, the headline in this story is Quote, they're not fine. Why surgery doesn't help people with gender dysphoria? And this this is a really interesting and, and I'm I'm telling you it's painful as well. This is a painful story because it deals with it deals with suicide. And if you've ever known a family that has had a suicide affect it, you know what it does. So um, I'm going to welcome Liberty to the show. We've never talked before, but I'm I'm very happy you had time for us today. Hello, Liberty.
5: Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on today.
2: I'm, I'm glad you're here. You are only the second Liberty I have met in my life, the first being Casey Kasem's daughter. And I met well... her when she was a baby. So, you know, that's a long time ago. But um,
5: I... Uh... Is- I think the name is getting more popular, so I'd like to say I started that trend, but, you know, who knows?
2: <laughs> well, I, I have no idea how old you are, and it doesn't matter, and I would never ask a lady how old she is, unless we were betting on it, you know, at a state fair or something. But uh, <laughs> uh, th- there is a Liberty uh, who was Casey, who is Casey Kasem's daughter. Casey's not with us anymore. But th- this story that you've written about... About the, the trouble, the emotional trouble, and, and some of the problems that are affecting the transgender community, the people that are gender dysphoric, is really disturbing. And and the, the suicide rate is astounding. Uh, where and how did this hit you?
5: Um, yeah, so the suicide rate among transgender people or people who identify as transgender is 40%. And um, there are a couple different studies that confirm this figure, but most recently, uh, there was a U.S. transgender survey, it was the largest survey um, concerning gender identity in America, and that was in 2015. Um, and so I spoke with Walt Heyer, who was somebody who used to identify as a transgender woman, and um, he reversed after his transition to go back to his birth gender and so I spoke with him and he has done a lot of studying, you know, in addition to his own personal experience um, just, you know, regarding all the, kind of the deeper issues there and it turns out that in addition to a 40% suicide attempt rate among transgender people there is a 60% rate of um, mental disorders and more than one mental disorder within the, the same person and those are largely going undiagnosed and instead people are just told change your sex through surgery and it's not getting at the deeper issues that these people have
2: so interestingly you bring up that that's 40% of the the uh, people who have gender dysphoria are are suicidal is that is that the correct way to phrase that
5: yes uh, the the transgender survey from 2015 found that 40% of respondents had attempted Suicide, And then a 2014 study um, from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention found that it was in the early, for, or, you know, low 40% ballpark as well among um, people that identified as transgender as far as having committed suicide or attempted suicide.
2: Now, to give everybody listening some clarity on that, suicide rates in America, that, that 40% number, or if it tickles higher... That's double, that's more than double of the highest suicide rate in America, which in 2015, these are government numbers, uh, that 19.6% among adults between 45 and 64 years of age, 19.6. Second highest rate was 19.4 in those who are 84 and older, and it's younger in in lower and middle-aged and older adults as well. But the suicide rate among 15 to 24-year-olds, 12.5%. And I'm imagining many of these folks in this sample, the discussion we're having about uh, people with gender dysphoria and saying that that they are given this, um, I think the term that was in your story was false hope uh, about changing genders. Uh, the the numbers hitting over, over 40%. And these people are probably not seniors; these are probably young people and young adults, so it's it looks to be more than triple the normal number. so that's astounding
5: right and you know the scary thing is um more and more young people are starting to identify as transgender or question their gender identity and I actually um reported on this back in april and a an Australian psychologist was talking about this issue and how So many young kids, even in elementary and middle school, are falsely identifying themselves as, you know, transgender because um, of social contagion or just a lot of other issues that have also been confirmed in studies um, that show, you know, how many people are are identifying this way now. Um, And this is despite the fact that, you know, you have these high suicide rates. And in the United States, you've had kids as young as 13 years old started on hormone treatments. And then, you know, five years later when they're 18, some saints even younger, they can get a surgery to alter their body forever. Um, But the information about this unhappiness and even the suicide attempts has actually been out since the 70s. You had um, a doctor, Charles Illenfeld, who spent years giving hormone treatments to people who identified as transgender, and eventually he stopped. And went into a psychiatry after treating over 500 people because he said these people are unhappy um, you know there's a high suicide rate among them and this isn't fixing the problem there are deeper issues so he actually went into a completely different field to help... Well, address. hang
2: this. on Liberty hang on one second I'm up against a hard break I'd like you to hang on I want to continue this discussion with uh, the stream.org's uh, Liberty McCarter and we're talking about the suicide rate among people with gender dysphoria. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka
1: on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka. with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio
2: Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Yeah, we've been covering the fact that the GOP has put out its uh, draft copy of the health care pitch from the Senate. And there currently are four GOP senators who oppose it. Rand Paul being the most specific on it, saying uh, we're not really getting rid of Obamacare. This is Obamacare light. And the, the discussion on this will continue for a week. But we're having a serious discussion here. It's a follow-up to yesterday's vital question about how many genders there are. And in having this discussion, I came upon a story from the stream.org entitled, They're Not Fine, Why Surgery Doesn't Help People with Gender Dysphoria. And Liberty Liberty McCarter, the author of this story, was just telling us about the fact that this, this information, this knowledge... Of, of the trouble of people with gender dysphoria and the fact that they have a, a suicide rate double and in some cases in some demographics triple that of the rest of the country. These numbers have been out there forever. You were saying in the 70s uh, there was a doctor who had been giving hormone therapy to people with gender dysphoria and he realized that the problem was bigger than than anybody knew.
5: Yeah, that's right, and um, you know, Dr. Charles Ellenfeld, he spent six years giving hormone treatment to over 500 people, um, and then he later you know, said, uh, there is too much unhappiness among people who have had the surgery, that's a quote, too many of them end as suicides, and then mm. there was another doctor in the 70s um, at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Paul McHugh, and he oversaw a study of people who also had this sex reassignment surgery. Um, And he came out in 2004 saying that in their psychological condition, they were little changed. Um, And then, uh, you know, the man I spoke with, Walt Heyer, who has actually gone through the surgery himself and then reversed back to his original, his birth gender, um, he spoke with this doctor, Paul McHugh, again in 2015. And Dr. McHugh said he still did not see any medical justification for the surgery. And so it's interesting. Another thing that Mr. Heyer told me is that, you really need to follow up with people um, years after you know uh, their surgery because a lot of times you start seeing the regret cycle come along 8 to 15 years later. There's an initial reprieve where they feel good but if those underlying issues were never addressed um, if surgery wasn't the answer, they're still going to have those issues again 10 years later and that's what you're finding when you actually do the long-term follow-up with people.
2: And see, this is so important, and people aren't paying attention to this. And so, Liberty, I'm very, I'm very happy that this article is out there. And uh, in in some ways, I had this this flash of understanding on this, that makes me think. Um, and I'm going to simplify this. The people who wrote the angry notes yesterday, the angry emails and angry tweets to me, direct messages, are going to probably respond again today. In some ways, I think that this is. This is a response, the, the jump to transgenderism and or jumping to try and take these hormones and or have surgery, and then you wake up and say, wait a minute, I didn't want that. It's like the person who makes an impulse purchase after winning the lottery and buys all these cars and all these homes and then realizes all that stuff doesn't change who you are inside. All that stuff didn't fix your feelings of emptiness or your lack of satisfaction in your life. And it only serves to point it out even more so. And I know it's a simplification, but am I wrong? Are we kind of on the same level
5: here? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, Another thing Mr. Heyer talked about is, um, the young people that and everybody, but especially young teenagers who feel like they are in the wrong gender, he'll spend a long time, you know, days, years, however long it takes talking with these people, having these conversations. And he says, you know, a lot of the time um, or most of the time, they eventually will admit there was a point that they started having this. Um, feeling that they were born in the wrong gender and usually it followed up some kind of trauma whether it was physical abuse or sexual abuse or another kind of abuse Um, and that is very common and so when you are looking at this, uh, 60% of people who identify as transgender have multiple mental disorders, 40% attempt suicide and then a significant amount also had trauma early on in their childhood. And um, it's like, OK, why are we just saying you can fix all your problems by switching genders? Obviously, there's other issues that need to be addressed.
2: And um, you're, you're, you know, you're so right. Yeah. And uh, to support this, I, I even go to last week when Camille Paglia, somebody who rarely comes up with something, I say, well, that's right, Camille. That's spot on mm-hmm. Camille Paglia, famous feminist, s- critic of society, all kinds of stuff. A very controversial woman said that uh, giving parents who give children who think they're transgender puberty blockers are engaging in a criminal violation of human rights. And I have to say, I agree with Camille Paglia, the parents who are are okaying these kids at five and ten and fifteen. Uh, taking a, a hormone blockers to stop the body's natural development, I think they're they're going to be viewed in the future the way we viewed some of the experiments the uh, on human beings that were performed by crazy regimes like the Nazis. I, I I'm sorry to get extreme on it, but that really feels like what it is to me.
5: I think that's true, and and, and it's important to note um, because it's such a touchy and controversial issue. People who are speaking out against this are not transphobic. I mean, some people, you know, there are always people that are not nice, but in general, I think you're having a lot of pushback because you see these suicide rates and uh, these mental disorders going untreated. And you have children and teenagers who are permanently changing and damaging their bodies. Um and so this is serious. And you have people, you know, liberal feminists. There's also several members um, in the LGBT community who have teamed up with conservative think tanks to speak out against this. Because, and it's the doctor I mentioned earlier, Charles Ellenfeld. I didn't mention this in the article, but he was actually a homosexual. And so, and he was the one who said, look, this surgery is not fixing these issues. So there are people on all sides ends of the political spectrum speaking out because people are being harmed and that's what the issue is it's not transphobia it's people are getting hurt
2: well it's a it's a very important topic and one i appreciate the clarity the facts the history and and the news that this is a this is a dangerous situation if not taken seriously and not without the correct long-term view of what the problem is and treatment and your work liberty is important thank you so much for being with us today.
5: Oh, thanks
2: for having me. Have a great rest of your day. The story is on uh, on the website as you as we speak. You can read it. It's on thestream.org. The headline: They are not fine. Why surgery doesn't help people with gender dysphoria? A heavy topic, right? We can't be afraid to deal with heavy topics. Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network reminding you: I got I have to give you an admonishment. If you have pain from inflammation in your joints in your knees in your back in your neck whatever your hips and you haven't taken the plunge and tried the 3 week quick start program from relief factor what are you waiting for seriously it's 1995 for 3 weeks so you pick up the phone you call this number right write it down 800-500-8384 800-500-8384 it's relief factor I take it breakfast lunch and dinner I have stopped taking any kind of painkillers and this is a guy who was considering knee replacement surgery because my knees were killing me it's been 16 weeks since I've touched an over-the-counter painkiller I don't touch prescription painkillers just all natural anti-inflammatory relief factor it helped me it helps so many people check it out go to relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384 it is relief factor and we'll be right back with a fabulous finish to this show something uplifting for the people of the grinnell towers
0: you're listening to pure opelka with mike opelka on the blaze radio network Your Opelka with Mike Opelka.
2: Welcome back. We've got uh, just a little bit of business to take care of before we get to this uh, great song that's going to help the people from the Grenfell Tower. Um, It's uh, 36 years ago today. Something wild happened at Wimbledon with an American. John McEnroe hit a ball that was called out. And McEnroe had one of the legendary temper tantrums of, of all time. I don't know if you remember him yelling on the court with his headband.
3: You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Jock flew up. It was clearly in.
2: It was clearly in. Jock flew up. One of the great temper tantrums of all time by an American (laughs) at Wimbledon. Yes, I'm a little tennis-centric, but I appreciate it. And speaking of London... The Wimbledon championships are July 3rd through the 16th. Still don't know if we're going. We're hoping. We're crossing our fingers. Maybe we'll be there this year, and if not, next year. But uh, London is still doing a little bit of recovery over the horrific fire that happened at the Grenfell Tower. And you've heard me rant and rave about the uh, Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, saying he wants to confiscate empty homes and give them to the people who are homeless. And yes, he said that. And he's also uh, helped push the purchase of luxury apartments to be given permanently to some of these people. It's uh, it's disturbing. And when he started to get traction on that topic, I thought this was really interesting. Simon Cowell. Yes, that's Simon Cowell, the guy from American Idol. Simon Cowell stepped up and said, hold on a second. Uh, we need to do something, something really, um, really innovative. We need to let the free market help out. So he got the rights to a beautiful song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And he has a We Are the World like group singing it. And it just came out today. You can get it on iTunes if you want. It's a beautiful song if you love music and it's doing some good. And I'll tell you what, we've been allowed. To play it here To finish the show So I'm going to shut up I'll come back at the very end But I'm going to finish the show With the song that you should get I got it It'll help
1: people Yeah, I don't know where to begin So I'll start by saying I refuse to forget you I refuse to be silenced I refuse to neglect you that's for every last soul up in Grenfell, even though I've never even met you. Cause that could have been my mum's house, or well, that could have been my nephew. and that could have been me up there, waving my white plain tea up there, with my friends on the ground trying to see up there. I just hope that you rest and you're free up there. I can't feel your pain, but it's still where it is. Went to the block just to chill with the kids. Troubled waters come running past. I'ma be right there just to build when a bridge. you're
5: Feeling small When tears are in
0: Communities moving me, choose to gleam as we're facing the dark.
2: friends. Testudo.
0: Pure Opelka.
1: With Michael Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network.